Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Dan Plexman, who is a workplace safety speaker and life safety advocate. Dan, welcome to the show. Good morning, Eric. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Sounds good. So, so I'd love to, to hear a little bit about your, your story, uh, the story that, that uh, got you to become a workplace safety speaker. All right. Well, the process of becoming a speaker, a professional speaker with work on workplace safety, I think this role is handed down to many other workplace safety speakers, uh, not by choice. It's just something that happened to them, and they have to. Sh- they're sharing their story to change the world of safety. And the same thing happened to me. I was injured in a workplace accident about 14 years ago, and after uh, realizing I wasn't going to be able to return to work at the same capacity. I decided to get into uh, safety and started doing some safety training, which I had been uh, already taking safety training since the early uh, 90s or the late 90s, I mean. So one of the safety courses I was taking was uh, train the trainer and teach the teacher. And part of the course was to do a 10-minute presentation in front of the class. And obviously I spoke about my workplace accident and the 10 minutes turned into 30 or 40. And then the teacher brought me down to the chancellor's office and said, this guy has to be our keynote speaker at our next uh, speaking our our next uh, safety conference and three months later I was in front of 500 people or 500 safety professionals telling my story mm-hmm. and uh, I guess six seven years later it's still going strong and uh, it's been a great experience uh, there's so many things that this experience has given me it's taken away a lot but uh, you can't really look at the bad things in life. You have to look at things with a positive manner. And uh, without this experience, I never would have met my wife. So that's one thing that I really truly cherish about being injured. And that's how I became a speaker about my injury and my accident, my story. And my story being injured in a workplace accident, uh, it starts off like any typical uh, Northern Canadian kid. I was a, I was a construction worker. I was raised by a, a working household. My mother was a nurse. My father was a construction guy. Uh, mm-hmm. As a child, as a child, I worked. I went with my dad on the job sites. He was a pipeliner, and from the time I was about nine or ten years old, I was driving around the big trucks with him on the construction sites, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And as a teenager, he was able mm-hmm. to get me uh, working on some uh, boom trucks, like uh, swamping, uh, being like a, a raker on, on trucks, on crane trucks. And I never looked back after that when I became a, I graduated high school. Uh, I was just a construction guy. And I worked in all different mm-hmm. types of construction. I, ch- I typically chased like uh, pulp and paper mill construction, uh, oil sands production up in Alberta. I did a short, short stint in oil rigs and... Uh, then I uh, picked up an electrical apprenticeship working out in the oil sands and uh, took a job back home a few years later in Ontario. Mm-hmm. 
uh, with a electrical utility company. Uh, I worked for them for about three years and I wasn't your typical apprentice. Like I started the electrical apprenticeship mm -hmm. probably around age 32. So at the age of 35, when I was injured as, and, and, and when I was injured, uh, I was a full grown man. I wasn't fresh to construction, but I was fresh mm -hmm. to the electrical industry. But all the construction job sites I had been on had the exact same machinery, the exact same uh, type of work. The only difference was now we're working under live electrical lines and we're putting these live electrical apparatus together and building it. And I love the sure. job. I love the, the guys I worked with. And uh, to cut to the short end of the chase as far as my accident goes, uh, I was working in a man lift by myself. I was about 20 feet in the air and I was uh, working under live lines. Mm -hmm. I was doing a simple, simple job. All I had to do was uh, tighten a few nuts and bolts. Okay. You see, uh, my accident happened on a Tuesday and the weekend before, the week before we had erected these electrical towers or these electrical or um, these steel structures to mount some of our electrical apparatus. And mm -hmm. when I showed up at work the next, after the weekend, that was my sure. job. Just go up there and tighten the few nuts and bolts and we're good. And then I can go to the next job. Uh, when I accepted the work orders, I didn't think anything of it. Um, it was very common for me as an apprentice to be working under live lines and to be working by myself in the man lift. Mm -hmm. And I knew at my previous uh, employer, we weren't even allowed to walk a man lift without having a, a ground crew or another person in there with you. And I'd complained about this to the employer I was working with, this electrical utility employer. And I said, like, you know, I, w I wasn't even allowed to do this job on my old job, on my old employer. And now I'm expected to do it alone as an apprentice. And basically they said, uh, well, maybe you should go back to your old employer. Right. And I just took that as how it is sort of thing. Oh, wow. And, uh, and this was probably a couple of years before I was injured. And then as the years went on, a couple, I only worked there for about three years before I was injured, still doing my apprenticeship. And uh, I complained, not really complained, but I also, I brought this up again to other, to my safety rep. And the funny thing is with the safety rep, with me being, with the, bringing this up to the safety rep, <laughs> I was actually the safety rep for when we went out, when, when our crew split up. So I was like the field safety representative. And when they asked me if, to fill this role, mm. I said, great, uh, when do I get the training? And I was actually laughed at. And <laughs> I was told, this job is strictly a paper role. Sign your name here and don't rock the boat. Oh, wow. So my when, I, uh, when I brought these concerns to my safety rep, who had said this previously, I kind of knew it was going to fall on deaf ears. So... I made sure there was a group of people around with, which included my superintendent, my lead hand, my union steward, the safety rep. And I said like, I shouldn't be operating this machine without supervision. It's like illegal to work as an apprentice with 
under live lines. It's just how it mm. works. And I was laughed at and I was asked, what are you, a man or a mouse? And uh, my goodness. Yeah. And that's exactly what I said. Are you a man or a mouse? We've been doing this job for like 27, 30 years. Some of the guys have been there for over 30 years. We've been doing this job this way. And for you to come here and tell us how to do it, it's just not going to work that way. And I wasn't intimidated in a way where I uh, was physically intimidated or like I felt like less of a man. I actually felt guilty where I just wasn't fitting in. And that was sort of the culture of the crew that I was on where we weren't, people weren't rude with each other and like to, to push that, these unsafe work practices. It was just how it was. And it was kind of like, you're not man enough. Well, you're kind of feeling like, like you aren't man enough. <laughs> so you just kind of follow suit. And that's what I did. And I had done that my wow. entire life. I had done that my entire life. I always just accepted the job and I did what I was told. And being a good, uh, loyal, hardworking employee was was instilled in me. And that was the attitude I went to work with. I wanted to produce, I wanted to fit in, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be productive. Even like when I was 17 years old, working with my dad on one of those boom trucks. The first time I ever operated a chainsaw was with my dad when yep. I was 17 on the job site. And he never gave me any instruction how to operate that. He just mm -hmm. gave it to me and said, fire this thing up, climb up on the trailer and cut the end of, cut the chunk off, cut a chunk off the end of this wood that's sticking off the side of the trailer. So we don't hit anything as we're driving. And I was 10 feet up in the air, hanging on, the trailer with one hand while I operated the chainsaw with the other stretched wide open. And that was how I was taught from the age of 17 mm -hmm. by my dad. And that's normal. That's, or that was normal to me. And that's how, that's how he learned. That's mm -hmm. how everybody learned back then. So I really can't blame, like put blame or responsibility on my fellow workers and just the, the poor culture, the poor safety culture that I came from, or I mean, that I was working with on the job site when I was injured, because that was the same culture that I, that I was raised in, uh, a culture of mm -hmm. production rather than a culture of safety. And, and that, that's unfortunately quite, quite common as a, as a theme in a lot of organizations is the focus or reinforcement is on get it done as opposed to, uh, get it done safely. Exactly. Exactly. And another human factor with my, I don't know if it's actually a human factor, but just another statistical factor with my, my injury and my incident, mm -hmm. um, being a typical construction crew, like you said, it's, it's all about production and typically most construction crews are running a little lean on the manpower just because when the jobs are lean, you don't want to have to go through all the layoff, go through the layoff process um, when there's too many guys. So typically, the, my experience, they run a little lean on the on the lean side just to prevent any layoffs when things get busier or slower. And that was an issue we were having, where we were always mm -hmm. running lean, but 
there was just so much work to be done, we were always running short. And working with a composite crew, there's sure. electricians, there's carpenters, laborers, uh, machine operators, that sort of thing. And working farther up north where our job location was, there's not the uh, massive amounts of workers in some of these other big utility uh our utility electric utility yards and uh, job sites so just as sometimes you're running lean with men manpower you're also running lean with machinery you're running lean with just the general tools so sometimes you have to just make uh, do with what you have and sometimes you, you make do with what you have and the job gets done nobody is hurt and then you go to the next job and just because you nobody was hurt and there was no injuries or or incidents, no time loss, and the jobs got done, it doesn't mean that they were done correctly or even done safely. And I think that complacency sure. was a big issue with with my job, where everybody was doing this for years and years before I was hurt, but I just happened to be the guy that uh, was hurt. <laughs> This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Right. So, so tell me a little bit more about the um, culture on that crew, right? Because you, you talked about production over safety. Um, the the feedback you got when you identified some safety opportunities was to shut you down. Uh, your quote around "Are you a man or a mouse?" is is horrifying to me. Um, what was unique and, and how, how did that crew evolve to have that culture? And were there some signs that as a, a leader in the organization, maybe it could have seen that something was not quite off. I'm assuming this wasn't the culture of the whole company at the time. No, no, th that's the thing with all, with my experience with this and I'm, I've learned, I've come to learn that almost every part of any job site any accident, anything, it always involves people. You can have as many company policies and procedures sure. and you could have as many uh, union constitution rules and regulations and safety protocol to follow, but it all means absolutely nothing if mm -hmm. people don't enforce it and implement it, follow them. And that was the issue with my crew. The uh, company we worked for was a huge, huge electrical utility company. There was never a shortage of materials. Mm. There's never a shortage of money to be thrown at all the jobs we were doing. There's no reason to, to, to be writing so lean and uh, no reason to, to cut any corners. All of that was in place. All of that was there. The men, the leaders, myself... I just chose not to use them and, and not to follow these protocol and not mm -hmm. to enforce it. Uh, I, I truly believe 
personal safety is the most important part of every aspect of any kind of safety um, safety measure. If your personal safety isn't number one mm-hmm. for everybody, there's never going to be anybody. There's going to be a lot of there's always a lot of accidents. It's just how it works. And I really wish I would have enforced my right to refuse dangerous work. I should have, but I didn't. Uh, my employer, right? Uh, the guys that I worked with, they should have enforced mm-hmm. these rules, but they didn't. Uh, you know, I should have gone home that night, but I didn't. Uh, instead, I, I accepted those dangerous work orders. I accepted right. the unsafe unrealistic uh, job expectations and then I went to the hospital for three months I've had over uh, 30 major surgeries 100 little ones and it's there's real real consequences to not following these protocols that are in place and ensuring your personal safety so so when you speak about uh, safety and you speak to Team members, what's your core message really around taking that personal ownership for safety? Like I said, even though I I knew what I was doing was wrong, and even though I complained about it before, mm-hmm. I did not get the recognition yeah. and I didn't get the respect, the recognition, and things did not... Uh, the things I was asking for and talking about they weren't recognized or even acknowledged so this the culture has to start from everyone and if you're Mm -hmm. having a hard time instilling your own personal safety take another step up the rung go higher uh i went from my lead hand my union steward my safety Mm -hmm. rep I went as high as the superintendent and the superintendent actually agreed with my lead hand when I said, or when I was, when they said, what are you, a man or a mouse? Because it was the lead hand who called, who said, what are you, a man or a mouse? Uh, then no. my field foreman, the general foreman, and then the superintendent all agreed and said, yeah, I have to agree with that. So at that point, I really, really felt, I really felt there was no... I couldn't go any higher. I was talking to the superintendent. Who else could I go to? Sure. There, there's much more higher rungs than that. Uh, there's probably five or six or ten other other ten other superintendents in other areas that I could have emailed or called or anything. I could have called the the Ministry of Labor. I could have called my local MP. I could, I could have done something, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to get the job done and. Uh, I wanted to be part of the crew. Like I really liked working with these guys. I like, I respected these men. Uh, they were my friends. Like right, and their culture of production led to my life-altering accident. It changed my life completely. But I don't have any blame or uh, yeah, I don't blame anybody because there was no in. There's no malintentions, just things happen. And sometimes the best intentions have the worst outcomes. And having a culture of production 
is just not acceptable nowadays. So, so you, you raise the issue to fairly senior level, superintendent level, um, and everybody echoed the same, same message. Uh, and, and to me, that there's also an element that I got to wonder if, I, if I'm an executive and I'm running, running the business, how do I find pockets like this where maybe people don't feel comfortable speaking up, don't feel comfortable raising issues, um, and where you have more of a production of a production orientation as opposed to a safe production focus? The intimidation factor has to be removed. That's how I see it. Yeah. When I was intimidated on the job, I I was a six foot tall, like six one. 229 pounds and I was injured. I was a big, strong, hardworking guy. And mm-hmm. I wasn't easily physically intimidated. I I walked confidently and I wasn't really scared a lot of scared of a lot of things. But physical intimidation is a real big difference when you're dealing or uh, like mental intimidation, emotional intimidation. That's what I felt. Because I don't sure. really felt, I didn't, I didn't feel, I, if I look back on it now, I do not think I was mentally or physically intimidated when I was asked to do this job. But I was emotionally intim- intimidated. I was made to feel like I was not worthy. I, made, I was made to feel like I was letting the job, the crew down. I was made to feel like I just wasn't fitting in. And mm. I was the youngest guy in the crew. I was 35 years old and I was the youngest guy in the crew by at least 10 years. Everybody else was at least 45 to 65 years old. And they had all been working there for at least 20 years. I was the first guy that they had hired in over 13 years on the crew as an apprentice. So the intimidation I felt was emotional sure. intimidation because I just felt that I wasn't fitting in and if that was removed if things were Mm -hmm. a little a little bit more soft rather than men trying to be so hard and rough if that makes sense uh i think things could have changed right yep so so thank you for sharing your story dan i'd love to, to dive into some of the human factors that were present uh when when the incident happened and hear a little bit about thoughts around how those, what were some of the countermeasures that could have, could have reduced um, those, the impact of those human factors? Oh, for sure. My personal human factors are the number one thing that were involved with my accident. And the timeline before my accident just, it's actually, the perfect recipe for an accident <laughs> in any situation. You see, like I said, right. I was injured on a Tuesday, like I said. Uh, I wasn't there on Monday. And I took the Monday off. And I took the Monday off because I was selling my rental house. And during the weekend, I had like three apartments that I was painting and doing a bunch of renovations to, to get prepared for selling the house. And my weekend was so busy. Mm-hmm. And you also have to remember, 
my home to the job site was a six hour drive. So I worked until Thursday. I came home on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I worked, worked, worked. And then Monday I made the deal to sell the house. And then the plan was for me to show up on work on Tuesday at noon and get back to work. So that's what I did. Uh, I drove to work the morning of our, the morning of my incident. So I left about five in the morning. I drove for six hours and I stopped at my hotel. Uh, I rested for a couple hours and then I went to the job site. I remember actually driving to the job site thinking I was just so tired. Uh, my mind was racing with mm -hmm. all the things that I had, I had done on the weekend and my mind was racing with all the things I still had to do when I came home on the next weekend. And right. my job wasn't, my mind wasn't on the job. It was about my home life. I was stressed. I was busy. I was tired. Uh, and when I arrived on the job site, I was asked, go back to the man lift you're on before the weekend and uh, finish uh, installing the bolts on those steel structures. And then you can uh, hop in your car and drive 200 kilometers to the next job site and meet the rest of the crew. Uh, my electrical work instructions were given to me by the carpenter foreman. There was not a single other electrician in the yard when I was injured. I was by myself and I was still an apprentice working under live lines in a man lift without any ground crew, no uh, wow. signal man or anybody. And I accepted those work orders. That's how we did things. And like I said, I was really tired and I wasn't, my mind wasn't on the job. So like I said, I accepted the work orders and then I went to the hospital for three months. And my mindset is, I truly believe that's the main reason why I was injured because as soon as I got on the job, as soon as actually I put my work boots on, I went to the man lift. I got on that man lift and then mm -hmm. I safely proceeded to do my job. And all I needed to do at the end of the job was just to inspect my work. So for me to inspect my work, I had to drive that man lift maybe five or six inches one way just so I could get a better view. And like I said, my mind wasn't on the job when I started the work. So I didn't do a safety circle check mm -hmm. of the man lift I was working on. It's one of the first things you always do on any job site when you're operating any machine. You do a safety circle check. But I didn't. I was just too busy in my mind thinking of what was going on at home. Sure. And I was also just thinking of getting the simple job done and hopping in my car and driving two hours to the next job to meet the rest of the crew. Uh, and as I said, when I was in that man lift, I just had to drive it maybe uh, five or six inches, maybe eight inches one way. And because I didn't do that safety circle check, I didn't notice that that man lift was parked exactly where I had left it the weekend before, but it had actually been moved and it was parked exactly where I had left it but it was parked 180 degrees opposite of how I had left it. And I didn't notice that because obviously I didn't do that safety circle check and I didn't walk the work area. Mm. If I would have, I would have noticed that the machine was parked 180 degrees opposite. So if you haven't operated a man lift before, sometimes depending on the machine, when you spin that machine 180 degrees opposite, 
the control levers actually go opposite as well. So left is right and right is left. So when I move that control lever, expecting that man lift to go to the right, right it actually went to the left and right there. That is when my life changed forever. Uh, the sparks, the fire, the bright light, it consumed me. The uh, steel bucket, the steel man lift that I was on, it caught on paper. I mean, it, it caught on fire, just mm -hmm. like paper. And I was engulfed in a, and I was in a cage of flames. That's what I was. And uh, I really was not there mentally because I was thinking of everything else that was going on at home. And I, I really wish I would have taken the time to do the safety circle check. I really wish I would have walked the work area. I really wish I would have refused the dangerous work orders and instilled my right to refuse dangerous work. Right. Goodness. Another issue that was a big factor in my accident was, like I said, I was 20 feet mm -hmm. up in the air. So after I was caught on fire, I rolled out of the man lift to get away from, to get out of the fire. But instead of falling to the ground, I was stopped and I was suspended by my safety harness. So I hung there swinging about 17 feet in the air, burning alive until my thick uh, nylon lanyard, the uh, safety harness, until it burned completely through. Then I fell 20 feet to the ground. While I was up there burning alive, I was awake and I was aware, and I remember all of it. And the carpenters and the machine operators and the laborers from the other side of the yard doing another job, they heard all the noise and the commotion, and they came running towards me. They came running towards me with the best of intentions, but they came running towards me like mm -hmm. chickens with their heads cut off. They were so stressed and it was panic and chaos. No one knew what to do. Uh, we had a little bit of safety training in what to, in what to do on if a man lift is stuck sort of thing, but there was no emergency rescue plan in place and there was no practice emergency rescue plan in place. That's for sure. There was like nothing. So, when I was burning up there alive, one guy, all he had to do was press a single button to release the machine. I would have came down to the ground. They could have put me out on, they could have put the fire out a lot sooner, but they couldn't do that because they were freaking out. They were not planned. Uh, they were not trained and there was no emergency rescue plan in place. Like I said, two other guys were trying to reach me at 17 feet with a 12 foot step ladder. That was the best they could do at the time and it was the best of intentions and they did their best but their best wasn't good enough because they did not follow the safety protocols they did not instill the safe work procedures that were set out by the company and set out by the union it was humans that failed right. to follow the rules yeah like safety systems and procedures they mean nothing if the people do not implement them. Absolutely agree. So, so Dan, thank you very much for, for sharing a story. If somebody wants to get in touch with you and, and uh, learn about uh, how you can present your story to others, share some of the insights around uh, um, improving uh, safety outcomes within a team, um, how can they get in touch with you? Very easily. Uh, DanPlexman.com. That's my website and you can reach me Anytime. Uh, <laughs> Very easy. <laughs> no problem. Just Google my name. I pop up. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. 
Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.